Hello, this is Justin Coleman, Senior Pastor at University UMC, and this is our podcast. I hope these messages engage your mind, touch your heart, and inspire you to serve God and your neighbor. Check us out online at universityumc.church. Thanks for tuning in. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you and praise you for this morning. We thank you for the beauty of your creation that surrounds us. We thank you for this beautiful reading of your holy word from Zephaniah. We ask that you would open up our ears that we might hear you and our hands that we might serve you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I first want to thank Pastor Lindsay and Pastor Justin for welcoming me here, uh, welcoming me back to University Church, a uh, church where uh, I, that I called home for two years uh, during uh, these two years as a youth ministry intern. It, it's fitting to return here and to be here this week with my son, Henry, who's hiding with Pastor Justin up in the balcony. Um, it worked out really well to come back to this place after he spent uh, the week at a basketball camp at a university not to be named. Um, I'm also fortunate to be here uh, in the town where my aunt, my wife's aunt and uncle live here in, in Chapel Hill. They live in the historic district and every day this week Henry and I have found ourselves in a in an electric vehicle we rented, which seems very appropriate for Chapel Hill as well, driving back and forth on Franklin Street and 15501 uh, to Durham. And I noticed something funny. All five days that Henry went to camp and we spent the day in Durham, it rained cats and dogs. And the two days that we spent in Chapel Hill, it has been sunshine and rainbows. So I, I don't know, yeah. I, my son already is understanding what I went through for my years here as he felt uncomfortable with his Duke jersey on yesterday walking down Franklin Street and he's already rolled his eyes at my Tar Heel blue tie uh, this morning. But all that back and forth reminded me this week of my time spent on the Robertson Scholars bus between Duke's campus and Chapel Hill over my two years as a youth intern here. You see, I would be in the midst of study and stress as a seminary student, and it was that bus ride between the two campuses where I could begin to feel my shoulders relax, my muscles uh, be a little less tense as I made my way here because University Church for two years became a place of refuge. It became a respite where I could pray and worship and most importantly, as a youth ministry intern, I could play. I could play. Um, I was a 21-year-old kid uh, who was able, for some reason, entrusted with the lives of youth who were just a few years younger than me, and I was able to relive all of my youth group moments, teaching them games, making up games, playing dodgeball. Do you know what kind of release dodgeball is when you've been studying and cramming for finals all week long? It's been 18 years since I have been in this place. 18 years is a long time. Many of the babies who were baptized had now graduated this year, and some of the kids who were confirmed have children and careers of their own. Uh, Pastor Daniel Childs, he was in the youth group, and he had hair back then. 
and Pastor Justin's beard was just in the beginning of its infancy as well. I knew a fresh-faced Justin. Some of you wish you knew a fresh-faced Justin as well. Yes. But like a day of sunshine after a week of rain or an afternoon of play after a week spent studying and stressing, this is where we find the prophet Zephaniah in the midst of the three chapters of his book. The verses that were read so wonderfully this morning are like this kind of respite, this refuge in the midst of a book that is almost all doom and gloom. Zephaniah is a prophet during the last years of the southern kingdom of Judah, during the time of good king Josiah who restored Israel to its worship of the Lord kicked out all of the prophets of Baal and Asherah, was the one who discovered, uh, one of his secretaries discovered the Bible in the corner, uh, not, not just collecting dust like it does sometimes on our shelves, but instead it had been forgotten and neglected for one kingdom after the next. And when the secretary reads the scriptures to Josiah, Josiah responds by weeping and mourning and tearing his garments in an act of mourning and repentance because he sees just how far Jerusalem and Judah have fallen from the image that God had created. It was during these reforms that Josiah proclaims, great is the Lord's anger that he has poured out upon us on those who have gone before us because they have not kept the covenant. They have not acted in accordance to what is in this book. Because of Josiah's faithfulness, the Lord tells us that there would be punishment coming. But yet, unlike some of the other prophets' words about those northerners in uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, God would leave a, a remnant, a remnant of the faithful ones. So it's in the midst of this context that enter Zephaniah. Zephaniah is this contemporary prophet who, uh, who, who the uh, English translators have uh, organized into three main chapters. First chapter, doom and gloom. Second chapter, doom and gloom. Third chapter, almost, yeah. About half of the chapter is doom and gloom. And then at the very end, we finally get a hopeful world, word. In fact, Zephaniah begins his writing with this shocking image of the world that God had created being unmade, being destroyed. Listen to these words. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. It's just the image you want to hear on a Sunday morning. I will sweep away both human and beast. I will sweep away the birds in the sky and the fish of the sea and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. AKA, nothing is safe on the day of the Lord. At the peace and paradise that the Garden of Eden had offered and that Adam and Eve had rejected in favor of a world of their own making, now God is promising that amongst the wicked, he will unmake that world to allow for the world that God desires to be remade. As God looked down upon the Garden of Eden and declared the peace and prosperity that was thriving there as holy and good, even very good, now God looks down to see the marred mess that we have made and the way in which the light has been turned to darkness, the 
order back into chaos and the instrument that God had used to bring about new creation now being brought to destruction. However, unlike the words that are given to the, to the northerners at the time of Assyria, there's this word of hope that comes, shockingly, surprisingly, in the midst of chapter 3, that there will be a small remnant of those who remain faithful to God who will stay in Jerusalem. Hear these words, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what God commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility, for perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. This one verse is about as hopeful as it gets in the first two chapters of Zephaniah. Zephaniah, which is a non-stop barrage of doom and gloom, tears and torture, moaning and mourning, punishment and pain, bitterness and gall. It's the long-feared day of the Lord, friends. It's judgment day, and it's not going to be pretty. In his play, August Osage County, Tracy Letts uh, tells of the story of this Dysfunctional family is the nicest way to put it. They're an absolute mess. And the older daughter is putting upon her younger daughter the pessimistic worldview and says this line, Thank God we can't know the future, otherwise we'd never get out of bed. You ever had a day like that? I know I have. In the context of the play, the family is gathered back together at the death of their alcoholic father. The widowed mother is now addicted to pills. The daughter is going through a very painful divorce, and everyone else are the perfect picture of dysfunction. In this commentary on Zephaniah, D.A. Block writes this, All that's in the context of this disturbing and riveting line in the play, thank God we can't know the future or we'd never get out of bed. The playwright reflects a pervasive, corrosive milieu of fear and grim resignation that we face in our time. In his time, the prophet Zephaniah rehearsed a similar drama of human sin involving violence and fraud, arrogance, immorality that produced disaster, reproach, and shame. And then the commentator concludes with this. But thank God, Zephaniah knew something of God's future. Thank God, Zephaniah knew something of God's future. Indeed, thank God, while the first two chapters of Zephaniah are doom and gloom all the time, are this depressing prophetic vision, probably one of the most in all of Scripture, that's filled with weeds and wastelands and slaughter by sword and profane for perversion. Thank God that Zephaniah knows something of God's future and points our eyes from what is all around us to what is coming. Otherwise, this remnant of Judah would have no hope. Otherwise, this remnant of Judah might as well remain in bed. Beginning in verse 9 of chapter 3, we see this change. Like the first partings of the clouds during a stormy week, we hear this. Then all of them will call on the name of the Lord. On that day, you will not be put to shame. 
which builds all the way till sunshine breaks through in verse 14. And shockingly, the sun is shining when we read this, Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. This week, a bit of homework is to go back and read the short book of Zephaniah. You get a... You get a passing grade just for being able to find it in your Bible, because it's easy to pass over. Um, But if you go back and you read it verse by verse, and you just by reading it can feel the tension and stress that the first two chapters provide, they should make you anxious and uncomfortable. And then if the words of verse 9 of chapter 3 begin to lighten that load, you'll get just the smallest taste of what the southern kingdom felt when they received this word of hope. It had been doom, gloom on repeat until the very end when Zephaniah paints this glimpse of God's future, not just for Judah, but for us. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear Zion, Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. God will take delight in you. In his love, God will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Now, this is not a a God who is set on punishment, but a God who is now rejoicing over us with singing. A future of worship and prayer. A future where the prophet describes festivals and parties return to the streets of Jerusalem. A future of praise and prosperity. And I would even argue a future that is filled with play. With the kind of play that was such a relief to me coming from the stress of studies back onto this campus where I was able to experience rest and recreation or recreation, as the scriptures would put it. In a similarly themed passage in Zechariah chapter 8, extra credit if you can go between Zechariah and Zephaniah and not get confused, but the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah and says this, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. And this is what the Lord says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one of them with a cane in hand because of their age. And the city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. And the city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. If for you a future with hope that God has prepared for us, if the images of a new heaven and a new earth, or rebuilding ancient ruins, or the lion and the lamb, or children's, children playing over the hole of a snake, which is supposed to be comforting in Isaiah, but always scares me to death. If those images don't do it for you of God's future, think of the cities filled with boys and girls laughing and playing. After all of this, the faithful people are holding a carnival. As one scholar reminds us, it's like the father throwing a party for a son who's returned after so many days away 
or a shepherd lifting the sheep upon his shoulders and rejoicing, or a woman holding up the one coin that she had lost, and Jesus commenting that the angels in heaven are celebrating and rejoicing, and if you will, laughing and playing over the good news that has been received. In the movie in which this sermon series is loosely based, Language Lessons, starring Mark Duplass and Natalie Morales, in the midst of uh, conversations over the death of the main character, Adam's spouse, what connects the two of them, not just a share of mutual tragedy, but is in their ability to play together. Over video conferencing software, they begin to make up silly songs and they play games of hide and seek, adults doing the silliest things, but as a way of shaking them out of their complacency, shaking them out of their pain, and giving them some sense that there is a future beyond the doom and gloom of their present moment. I know for me, when I would come onto this campus some 18 years ago, it was play that I needed to refresh and restore and remind me of God's good future with hope. And I, it's what I realize more often than not that I need on a daily basis. I wonder if you've thought about that for yourself recently. Could it be that on those days where we might say with the playwright, thank God we don't know the future or else we'd never get out of bed, that God through Zephaniah is inviting us to intentionally enter into a time of rest and play? Think about the garden where it all started, a place where they were free where there was no sin or guilt or pain, where they could eat of every tree but one. And their work was not toil, but it was an enjoyable recreation of what God has made. This image is what God points us toward in the future that God has prepared for us. The echoes of this are all throughout Scripture. One day of rest and play with six days of hard labor. Or one year of Sabbath rest after six years of production of, of grapes and crops. Sabbath rest, or play, if you will, is a sign of our trust in God. And it is a foretaste of the future that God is calling us into. Could it be that just as God did for the people of Judah, God is doing the same for each of us today? I wonder the last time you played dodgeball. I, I'm going to guess it's been a while for most of us. I wonder the last time you just kicked a soccer ball around in the backyard. Or maybe just took your shoes off to feel the grass under your feet. That you... You played a game on your phone just for fun. You did something just because you enjoyed doing it, and not because it was productive or because you had to. It's true, as the old proverb says, that all work and no play makes Jack or Jill a dull boy or girl. And it's also true, if I could bend a phrase a bit, that a family, that a community, that a couple that a church that plays together not only stays together but thrives together and leans into the future that God has in store. 
because of the brokenness and pain that came in the wake of my own church's vote to disaffiliate at the end of last year, my family has moved to a new city, a new church, which meant after living apart for six months where we were commuting in between, my children are now entering into new schools. And as my daughters have gotten older, I've recognized that one of the things that is the is one of the things that goes away from the curriculum quite quickly as they grow is recess. All the other subjects remain and just get harder, but recess goes away. It's not a cultural value for us, play, but it's one that I think that God is inviting us to enter into. So a task for you this week, I never like to leave people without something to do, is to have a little mandatory playtime. Just a bit of fun. Just a way of resting and recreating in the presence of the Lord to remind you of the goodness that God has in store. So whatever it is, as long as it does good and does no harm and doesn't interfere with your relationship with God, go for it. Maybe it's an hour or a day. It's kicking a ball. It's getting down on the floor with your grandkids spending an afternoon in the basement with the youth, but embracing it as just a sign of the future that God has for you, of the future where the lion and the lamb lay down together, where little children play in the streets, where Tar Heels and Blue Devils play on the same court and maybe even on the same team. We hear those words from our culture all too much. Thank God we don't know the future, otherwise we would never get out of bed. But along with Zephaniah, I thank God that we do know the future. Because it not only draws us to get out of bed, but to rejoice and rest and play. May it be so for University Church as it is in heaven. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can visit us at universityumc.church where you can find services, events, and other ways you can get involved. Remember that we love you. We hope you have a great week. We hope the peace of Christ is with you, and we hope to see you soon.